0: One, we're going to look at verses six through ten this evening. So, Galatians chapter one, beginning in verse six, we'll read through verse ten. I marvel that you are so soon removed from him that called you into the grace of Christ unto another gospel, which is not another. But there be some that trouble you and would pervert the gospel of Christ. And though, but though we or an angel from heaven preach any other gospel unto you than that which we have preached unto you, let him be accursed. As we said before, so say I now again if any man preach any other gospel unto you than that you have received, let him be accursed. For do I now persuade men or God? Or do I seek to please men? For if I yet pleased men, I should not be the servant of Christ. I want to spend some time in these uh, four verses uh, this evening. And uh, of course, if we were to title this, we would just call it No Other Gospel. Because there is no other gospel. And that is the apostles' approach here. I want you to remember last week, Uh, As we began, we established the the validity of the gospel as Paul would see it, and that centered uh, on the work of Christ who gave himself for our sins to deliver us from this present evil world. That's the gospel that Paul lays out in verse 4. As we stated last week, Paul would... Reiterate this gospel in a direct refute of the false gospel of the Judaizers. As we have already stated, these false teachers uh, would follow behind the apostle and he would go in, uh, plant seeds, start a church, and lead people to the Lord and disciple them. And when he would move out, the false teachers would follow in behind the apostle and they would challenge all things concerning his work. They would begin by challenging his authority as an apostle, and then very quickly they would move to quote-unquote correct his instruction as being incomplete. They would not necessarily disagree with the gospel that he presented. They would just say it wasn't complete. There were there was more to it, and they would agree that Christ was the Messiah, that His work on the cross provided salvation for the lost and redemption for the sinner. But the caveat was only the Jewish lost or only the Jewish sinner or the Gentile who had ceremonially ceremonially and ritualistically become a Jew and who could maintain the teachings of the law. And so in effect, they perverted this Free gift of God into a Christ plus religion, okay, and it's probably the first Christ plus religion, but there's a number of them today, and so we we understand context for where we are coming into verse six, and in verse six, what we notice is the the apostle's astonishment. Uh, he he says uh, there in verse six, I marvel. Uh, that you're so soon removed, uh, depending on uh, what version of the scripture you read, you may, you may read uh, shocked, surprised, astonished. Uh, the idea is that uh, the Apostle Paul is, is quite literally shocked that they would so soon turn from a free gift and enlist themselves in the yoke of bondage. And that's literally what they did. When we think about the Apostle Paul, and we think about the background of the Apostle Paul, uh, you're talking about an individual who perfectly knows the requirements of the law. He would be so crystal clear in the requirements of the law, associated, and, and he would understand them, educated perfectly in that. He knows, by the way, the emptiness of of ritual and tradition. He would know and would have experienced liberation from the law and the freedom that comes from that redemption. He he would have experienced that indwelling Holy Spirit of God guiding and directing the believer. He, He would have experienced the victory of walking in the Spirit and not in the flesh. And so when he says, I marvel, when he says, I'm astonished, he's literally shocked. That, that anyone would turn from liberty to bondage willingly. And then I believe more likely surprised that they would do so uh, so soon. Think of this person. Think of this, this Gaul, this one of the region of Galatia. And, and think of uh, how, the, the, how they are not unlike someone that you might would meet today someone who knows nothing about god they're not familiar with the concept of jehovah god or with the concept of the one true god or they're not familiar with that they don't know it they know nothing about the lord jesus christ they do not have a reality of the sin their sins They don't understand eternity and its choice. If you were to say to this person, you know eternity has two choices, they would say, no, I don't know that. I'm not aware of that. Uh, You think about this person, they are are just getting by as best as they know how, and then a believer encounters this person. Now, in this particular instance, it was the Apostle Paul, but truthfully speaking, it should be any born-again believer. That's you and me. And they would encounter this believer and this believer would tell them about the one true God, Jehovah God, the creator. And they would tell them about righteousness and they would explain to them about eternity. And and these people, this person would begin to realize for the first time their guilt and their inability to change it. And then there would be this fear and remorse and conviction sweeping through that individual. And then all at once you would introduce them to the Lord Jesus Christ, that lamb slain before the foundation of time. And they would learn about his substitutionary death. And they would learn about his vicarious suffering. And they would learn about his offer by grace of salvation for all who call upon his name. Can you imagine the thrill and the victory and the relief and the burden lifted, and I know that you probably can because you, like me, probably have experienced that. And you would, you would have that, that freedom, and now just imagine that same person just a few weeks or months later and some old dusty, dry, religious heretic comes along and they would say something like, oh, yeah, it's, it's great and everything. And I remember when I was young and naive like you. But, you know, as I grew and learned, I realized that if I really wanted to be saved, there are some things that I must do. This is exactly what happened. It's, it's interesting that, that they would come along and because misery loves company, They want to bring them down to the same level. And and with these Judaizers, that is what they did. And they would come and attempt to put them back under the law, a law they were never under to begin with. Put them back under the law. And by and large, these young Gentile believers left the grace of Christ for the burden of the law. It's almost unthinkable. And I wonder... How often that happens today. I wonder how often does someone leave the grace of Christ and willingly slip their head into the yoke under the burden of the law. And and I want to give you just a couple of examples. Because I want you to think, I want you to know this. And look, it's not me that wants you to know it. As a born-again believer, you should know this. Every time, you hear me? Not sometimes, not occasionally, but every time someone leaves an orthodox biblical denomination and joins the Catholic Church, they slip themselves back into the yoke of bondage. Every time they leave and they join the seven-day Adventist, they slip themselves back into the yoke of bondage. Every time somebody leaves, and I can hear it in my ears, and I know uh, Doc can as well, I used to be a Baptist. And every time somebody leaves an an Orthodox biblical church and, and goes and joins the Mormon church, they slip back in the yoke of bondage. Every time they do that with the Jehovah's Witnesses. They slip back into bondages. This, this is not a, an ancient New Testament church region of Galatia problem. This is a, this is a human problem, right? And, it, and it's still going on. And, and you listen to the way the, uh, the apostle uh, describes it, and he, he really calls it, it's the believer's abandonment of Christ. That's what he says there in the second part of verse 6 so soon removed from him that called you into the grace of Christ. They, they have removed from him. They have departed. They've allowed themselves to be removed from him by entertaining and accepting this false teaching. The, the ESV says it this way, so quickly deserting him. Would, would, you, want, would you want that on your conscience? That you deserted the Lord Jesus Christ, the only one who's ever really truly loved you? The the Amplified adds this statement, uh, deserting him and turning renegade against him. That's pretty vivid, isn't it? And that's what these people were doing. The Greek word is... Metatithemi, and, and it means simply to depart from one state unto another or to change or to transfer or to, to turn or to desert or to abandon loyalty. It's a strong term. Now, uh, we, would, uh, we would think about these believers in the region of Galatia who've only just learned of this gospel and, and these slick uh, religious Uh, pious-looking Judaizers would come in and kind of overwhelm them with information. And there would be some sorrow that we would feel for these folks. But I want you to understand something. Uh, These people were, if they were indeed born again, they were indwelt by the Holy Spirit of God. There would have been illumination. There would have been opportunities for them to say, no, I'm not going to leave the gospel I was taught. But there was this, this draw. It didn't occur without pressure, but it occurred just the same, and they were instructed more clearly by the Apostle Paul in a true gospel that the Holy Spirit of God would have not only stamped His approval on, but would have shown the light on. It would have lit up like a Christmas tree, for lack of a better words. They would have known that is the truth, and then this, these others would come in and sway them, but they would do so by the pressure of religion and tradition. Do you know why? It's because religion and tradition and formalism appeal to the nature of mankind because it makes you feel like you can help yourself. Oh, that I can do that for myself. I just got to pull myself up, right? And and so they would they would buy into that. And there was also uh, this fact and these Judaizers would name drop. Uh, So they wouldn't just blow into town and I say, hey, I know you don't know me, but they would say, "Uh, do you know who James is? John, Peter, do you know those guys? Yeah, they're friends of ours. Those those are real apostles. They were handpicked by the Lord Jesus and we have been hand taught by them and we're here because of them and so these people would they would be swayed by this idea of association and relationship men pleasers and it would just feed the flesh and they would say yeah we can do more and uh, we begin to see the depravity who specifically did they abandon did or did they abandon the apostle Paul well n- no Paul would say, uh, in a different application, uh, look, I'm glad I baptized any of you. You're not of me. You're, you're not of one of us. You, so who did they turn on? Well, the scripture states they turned on the one who called them. They turned on Christ. They turned on the literal uh, Christ, the one who finished the work, and then they turned unto Another gospel, which we're going to be informed, is not a gospel at all, but what it is is a works-based gospel. And we begin to see the depravity of that turn. It's nothing short of an attack upon the gospel because if you turn from one thing to the other, uh, you're turning on that thing you turned from. So we would see that in verses the latter part of verse 6 and 7, the attack on the gospel. Look, he says in the latter part of verse 6, unto another gospel, which is not another, but there be some that trouble you and would pervert the gospel of Christ. And so immediately we see the completion of the thought that they've turned from Christ unto another gospel. Therein is the attack. That's the attack upon the gospel. The attack may be perpetrated by a false teacher, but it's furthered by wavering disciples. See, that may be where you and I would get our lesson tonight. We likely are not a false teacher. But we might have, uh, we might have the tendency, the propensity to be a wavering disciple. If we're not prayed up, studied up, right? We're learning, we're growing, that's a responsibility we have. That's not, that's not uh, for salvation. That's because of salvation. Yeah. Right? It's something that, that we do because we are a new person. We have a new desire. But we have to fight against the flesh. In order to do that, we see this, this picture of the wavering disciple. And, and how else can it be described when we would consider the work of Christ on the cross, which was indeed the culmination of a life's work, and then someone believe would believe they could add unto that work if if we just take the passion week in and of itself and i'm going to be a little more descriptive in a moment but it would be foolish to think you could add to that but that passion week was the culmination of 30 plus years of living there was, there was an entire life's work accomplished. There was an eternal plan fulfilled. You're not talking about you you've you've turned against one event wherein one person did one thing. You're talking about the eternal plan of God played out across the ages coming to fruition in the birth of a child, coming to maturity in a man, and then accomplishing the work on the cross, that is what you're saying. Oh, I can add to that. Isn't that foolish? And we would think of the years of of temptation and testing, yet without sin, we would think of the willingness to advocate his throne in glory. Uh, We would think of coming in the humblest of forms. We would think of the Father who would give his only begotten. We would think of the cruel trial of mocking and of wrong. We would think of the wickedness of Herod. Can you imagine uh, the precious Lord Jesus Christ being transported over to stand in front of wicked Herod and and treated as if he's some trick-performing clown? And then uh, back to Pilate, who is purely self-serving, only worried about political expediency. Think of the scourging, the buffeting, the crown of thorns, the terrible trek up Golgotha. You would think of him giving his hand willingly to the soldier to receive the nails. You would think of the agony of suffering, the loneliness of separation from God, the crowds wagging their heads, we would think of, of his mother watching. We would think of his disciples watching. And we would say, we can add to that? There's, it's, it's unthinkable. But it's happening. And it happened here. Christ... The righteous, purchasing our redemption with his precious blood, satisfying the wrath of Almighty God, fulfilling the law once for all, and we would presume to behave our way into heaven? <laughs> That's kind of in your face, isn't it? Let me give you an antithetical point right here. It really doesn't fit, but I just, it occurred to me, the Lord brought it to my mind. Think of everything I just said about all that the Lord Jesus Christ and God the Father accomplished for us. And as as, uh, unbelievable as it would be to think that someone would believe they could behave their way into heaven, what about those who accept that free gift of Christ and think they don't have to behave any way at all? To me, that's almost as insulting. That uh, Christ, uh, the the righteous Son of God, would endure all of that agony, so, agony, so that I could continue to live my life any way I want to live and still inherit heaven. I don't. I don't that's uh, again antithetical to what we're talking about, but just as rash. And the very attack, uh, the very thought of either of those, is an attack on the gospel of Christ. How is the attack accomplished? Well, uh, Paul says there that there is a perversion of the truth. Could we all just for a moment comprehend that that's exactly how Satan operates? It's always a perversion of the truth. Uh, He's not going to tell you a complete lie. He's just going to shade the truth enough to, to, for it to be a perversion of the truth. And that perversion in and of itself could take you miles and miles away from the truth. It, this idea of the perversion and what is the result of this perversion, well, then Christ, uh, Paul would say, it's not a gospel. <laughs> it's not a, a evangelion. It is not a good tidings. It's not good news. In fact, it makes you personally or partially responsible for your own salvation. So that would qualify as terrible news. An awful tidings. Don't say that to me type of greeting. But notice who would propagate such a thing. Look at verses 8 and 9. But though we, or an angel from heaven preach any other gospel unto you than that which we have preached unto you, let him be accursed. As we said before, so I say now again, if any man preach any other gospel unto you than that, we, uh, than that you received, let him be accursed. And so we understand that the accursed man is the person who would propagate this gospel. By the way, once again, I don't want to drill down right here. It is just a thought. But uh, it's interesting that Paul would say in verse verse 8, pardon me, uh, that, uh, listen, whatever else happens, don't believe another gospel. And then he would say again, uh, as we said before, there's some indication there that Paul warned them when he was coming through the first time that there may be somebody else that comes through with another gospel, don't listen to them, and they listen to him anyway. So we, we have this, this picture of the accursed man or the accursed man. The Greek word there is anathema. It is a thing that is cursed or a thing that is despised or a thing that is detested. It is something or someone that is hated. It is something or someone that is devoted to destruction. That's pretty harsh, isn't it? So uh, we would want to As believers, and again, I'll flesh this out a little more in a moment, we would want to avoid that person to begin with. Uh, Secondly, we we would not want to be that person. Okay, and so it becomes imperative that we understand our salvation, that we comprehend our salvation, that we learn the truths of our salvation so that the salvation that we preach is not something that an accursed man would preach. That it is a true gospel, not perverted, not watered down. We we might would ask this question, well, how do I inherit this title or this circumstance? How how do I become the accursed man? Because I want to avoid that. (laughs) The last thing I want to be is uh, the accursed man. Uh, And so how would I... Uh, inherit that title well i would preach or propagate a perverted gospel or plainly spoken i would add anything to the cross of christ that's that's all you have to do to pervert it Uh, if if it is christ and it's perverted see whether it's church membership uh, and by the way uh, church membership is a good thing but it's not part of your salvation Uh, baptism, again, a good thing, Uh, an outward sign of an inward condition, the believer's first act of obedience, however, not addition, not adding anything to salvation, or good works, etc. Whatever it is, if I add it to, I have perverted the gospel, I've poisoned it. And I'm, if I'm sharing that poison gospel, I'm propagating a perverted gospel and guess what I qualify as the one who is accursed And so I would want to know that uh, salvation is by Christ alone by faith alone and Christ alone and that's the gospel and that's the gospel that I would present and there would not be any addition to the gospel. What about the the title or the circumstance uh, how would i avoid i I want you to hear the words of the apostle we'll see this again in several weeks but if you want to turn you can turn over to galatians chapter 6 and read along with me but listen to what the apostle paul says here because this is kind of an antithetical statement to uh, that one who preaches a perverted gospel is anathema this is kind of the antithetical statement Uh, If we read verses 14 down through verse 16, we get context. He says, but God forbid that I should glory. All right, except for what? Saving the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ, by whom the world is crucified unto me and I unto the world. For in Christ Jesus, neither, do you notice this? Circumcision availeth anything nor uncircumcision. But what matters is there's a new creature And then look what he says. As many as walk according to this rule. Is it accursed? No. It's the antithetical of accursed. Peace be on them and mercy. Do you see that? So how do I avoid this title or this circumstance? I glory in nothing save the cross of Christ. I add nothing to the gospel. I understand that there's not anything that I have done that has made me worthy of the shed blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. There's not anything that I have done that's made me worthy of eternal life in the presence of God. There's not anything that I've done that has separated me from any other thief on the cross. It is by grace alone, and by faith alone, in Christ alone. Amen. Lastly, he would say in verse 10, you would see there, for do I now persuade men or God? Or do I seek to please men? For if I yet pleased men, I should not be the servant of Christ. I think there's two, two uh, perspectives of this verse and likely, likely a third. I think you could contextually put it on in with the next few verses and it would fit. However, I also think that the Apostle Paul had been accused of, of being a flatterer of men. He had been accused of... Um, you know, if you read, um, he refused to circumcise Titus, uh, but he was pretty quick to circumcise Timothy. There was a purpose in that. Titus was a Greek, and Timothy had, a, had Jewish heritage. And so uh, they would say to him, that's duplicitous. That shows that when you're with the Jews, you do one thing, and when you're with the Gentiles, you do another thing. Uh, you're just seeking to please men. Uh, and, and, and um, uh, you know, you're trying to be all things to all people. That's, that's some of the accusations they would make, make against him. And so I read this to some extent uh, as a little bit of a, a sarcasm of almost a how-do-you-like-me-now type statement where the Apostle Paul is saying, who am I pleasing now? Am I pleasing men now? Or am I pleasing God? Uh, There's there's a second uh, position that we can look at, and and again, the perspective is different, but the the end result is the same. When you think about the Apostle Paul and his uh, when he was Saul of Tarsus, a Pharisee, perfect in keeping the law, uh, caring greatly as all Pharisees cared about what other men thought of him. Uh, There's a German theologian, last name Neander, and and he explains it this way, uh, speaking as the Apostle Paul. He says, once when a Pharisee, I was actuated only by regard to human authority and to please men. But now, but now, I teach as responsible to God alone. And I think there's a tremendous truth in that statement. I think the personal application would be very simple right here. We've already stated uh, you want to make sure you understand the pure, unadulterated, unperverted gospel. You want to make sure that you are sharing that gospel. Well, you want to be confident in that. I would also ask uh, myself, if if I were you, from a devotional level, what is my relationship to the gospel? Upon whom or upon what am I depending for my eternal destination? Just ask yourself that question. Don't, don't do it right here. Don't do it right now. Don't do it out loud. Uh, in, in a true form of devotion, ask yourself that question and see what yourself says. Because if yourself brings up anything other than the shed blood of the Lord Jesus Christ, clean it up. Clean it up. I suppose uh, we would close with this, a, a simple uh, heartfelt prayer to the Lord, Uh, and that would be, Lord, help us not only to walk worthy of the gospel by which we're saved, but help us also preach and propagate that true gospel of grace. Amen. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this good night. Thank you, Lord, for your blessings. Lord, I pray that you would uh, be with us as we uh, go into our prayer time. Lord, I pray that uh, what we've studied tonight would uh, settle on our hearts and in our minds. Lord, that we would investigate ourselves, ask ourselves these questions. Father, I pray that you'd continue to bless and strengthen and help us as we uh, prepare for Sunday services. In Jesus' name, amen.